Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, listen, we're excited that you're here for week five and the final installment of Accelerate. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've just been thoroughly impacted by this series. Uh, In the beginning or at the end of last year, my wife and I, Megan, uh, that was the hottie with the body who was up here a moment ago. uh, We went away for a couple days and just prayed about, God, what do you want to do in and through the movement church? You know, we're very specific about the direction that we're headed. We exist to inspire the one far from God to find life in Christ and life in the church. That's why we exist. And we want to do that by not just looking inward, but also reaching outward. But that's going to be the same. So we're saying, God, what do you want to do this year? And we just felt like God dropped in our heart this idea of accelerate. Not just about going faster, but about furthering the development and progress, taking the next step in our life. And so we truly are believing that this year God's going to accelerate the dream in your life. We believe that God's going to accelerate and that this year will be the greatest year of your message, that God's going to accelerate financial liberty and freedom in your life, that God's going to accelerate purpose and destiny in your life, because we believe that's what God is doing. So we said, let's take the first series of the year and really unpack what the ideas and the concepts behind Accelerate are. And the first week we talked about accelerating surrender, because if we don't start with surrender, then we're starting in the wrong place. We talked about accelerating growth and how we've got to constantly be working on growing and taking my next step. All of us in this room are just a little bit jacked up, some of you more than others, and we're praying for you. But all of us are just trying to get a little bit better, to take the next step. Then my wife just knocked the ball out of the park with accelerating the dream. Last week, if you missed it, Pastor Bree killed it. Can we give it up for her on accelerating generosity? Crazy good. And this year, I kind of want to, this week, I want to unpack a couple other thoughts for you in relation to accelerate. Before I do that, man, one of the key culture points that we have at the movement church, and culture is what gives us our shape, right? Our broad shoulders, our narrow hips, and all the blue eyes. I feel like I'm describing myself. This is crazy. And now you laugh. Thank you. And, uh, And so one of the things that's a huge culture point to us is the principle of honor. In fact, we decided early on that we will honor all. Those that are coming up behind us, those that we're running this race with, And I believe most importantly, those that have gone before us, that have plowed the road and said that I'm not going to give up because I realize that those that are coming behind me need to have strength in our future. And we have an amazing woman here today. Um, She didn't know I was going to do this, except for this is the second service in a row, so I think she's probably ready for it. She's a champion in the faith. She and her husband served for 51 years in ministry. Come on, somebody. 51 years of marriage. That deserves a hand clap. You don't even know who I'm talking about yet. She hails from the great state of Texas, and she is none other than Pastor Jeremy's nanny. Would you just lift your hand? Would you all give her a great round of applause? She's waving her hand. She says, you might hear a southern draw, and the anointing comes in through that. It's because of this woman right here. So we're great. Amen. Yeah. We're so grateful that you're with us and we're so thankful for what you poured into Pastor Jeremy and Jessica. Can we give these guys a great hand clap today? Man. So we're thankful. Thanks for hanging out with us on your vacation. We're grateful for you. We don't honor you in that way. And all these people are going to give you $5,000 when you leave today. So y'all get up on it. Okay. 
Anyways, let me read a couple scriptures and we'll jump in. I'm going to read, if you have your Bibles, you can or open up your tablet or your phone, turn to John chapter 13 and John chapter 15. I want to read a couple passages. I can see all of y'all moving for your phone so quickly. Woo, man, so fast. For those of you that are being lazy right now, you can watch the screen and I'll read some of the scriptures for you. But uh, for those of you who are with us for the very first time, what we believe is that Jesus has got to be at the center and his word has got to be the foundation. So every sermon, every song, every connect group, everything that we do is founded upon the word of God. So on a Sunday morning, we'll take a passage of scripture and we'll read that. And then we'll pull amazing nuggets of truth that can apply to my life today. So that when I walk out this door, I actually can live the life that God designed for me. It's crazy. So if you're here today and you're maybe visiting with us. Or maybe somebody dragged you here and said they'd pay you by a lunch afterwards. Or maybe you're here and you're not sure where you stand in your faith. We want to say welcome. And, and this is kind of a hall pass for you. You get to kind of get a scratch and sniff. Or check out under the hood of what Christianity is about. And I want to read a few passages. And they're long ones. But I believe that Jesus is trying to communicate something pretty powerful to you and to me. The first scripture is John chapter 13. This is Jesus speaking. And he says this. Children. I am with you for only a short time longer. And where I am going, I think I missed my spot, for only a short time longer, you are going to look high and low for me. But just as I told the Jews, I'm telling you, where I go, you are not able to come. Let me give you a new command. She said, I'm going somewhere, so let me give you a new command. Love one another. The same way that I have loved you, love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. Just a couple of scriptures later in John 15, he speaks again. And many historians believe that this is when Jesus was walking to the Garden of Gethsemane just a few hours before he was betrayed and crucified. And that this is the time when Jesus stopped and told his disciples something. So anytime it's Jesus' last few moments or hours on earth, you definitely want to stop and Pay attention to what he's saying. So check out John 15, verses 1 through 17. It says this. I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on a bonfire. But if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes and when you mature as my disciples. 
verse 9 and 10 says this. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in His love. I've told you these things for a purpose. That my joy might be your joy. And your joy wholly mature. He goes on to say at the very end. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Oh, I missed it. I'm sorry. Put your, oh, he says this. I'm sorry. I'm missing my spot. This is my command. He lays all that out. He says, this is my command. Love one another the way I have loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the father. You don't choose me. Remember, I chose you and I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil as fruit bears, whatever you ask in the father in relation to me, he gives you check this out. But remember the root command. Love one another. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, we just thank you that you're here in this place. We thank you that you're doing something powerful and real. God, we thank you that today uh, you want to do something new in each of us. No matter what season we walked in, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're up against, God, you have a purpose and a plan. So God, you do what you want to do. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and have your way in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, listen, I just uh, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. And the main point being accelerating connection. How, how many of you have ever been in an environment with someone that was an awkward connection? Anyone raise your hand? Have you ever met somebody that when they talk to you, they're a close talker? Yeah? Anyone know a close talker, right? If your hand's not up, you might be the close talker. I have a really good friend, and he is a consummate close talker. In fact, I don't think he realizes it, but literally the fuzz on the tip of our nose sometimes touch when he's talking to me. And so I'll do this thing, and then I kind of just hold my arms. I mean, this isn't even a normal status right here, but I kind of stand back like this, because if I don't, he leans in, right? Have you ever met somebody that's the long talker? Like, they don't stop. They just keep going and going and going. And you're thinking, man, I got to, before I sit down for coffee, I got to have another appointment to go to or I'm done. Nobody. Am I alone here? You ever been around the awkward person who's completely introvert, looks down and starts backing away as you're talking and you think, do I smell bad? What is the problem here? What is going on? I don't know about you. I have social interactions like that that tend to be awkward every once in a while. And there's just one thing that happened to me and my wife. When we first moved here, we were trying to meet as many people as we could. We literally didn't know anybody. So we're just trying to make new friends. Like, will you be my friend? It was awkward. But we went on this, like, dinner date with uh, my daughter's friend's family. So all the families came together, and we went to eat dinner, and we were talking and hanging out. And they had some plans after dinner, so it was going to kind of be a short deal. What I didn't know is that fool was interviewing me to see if he wanted to hang out with me in the future. And so as the dinner progressed, because we're so stinking cool, he's like, hey, let's go get ice cream afterwards. So we went to phase two of the interview. We sit down and we have ice cream. And then at the end, he's like, yeah, I think you guys are pretty cool. We can hang out with you. I was like, so what? It's like, I don't even get to step in, fool. I don't even need you. I didn't say that. I was a little bit angry, right? Because I'm being interviewed for friendship. Has anyone ever had that happen? 
Have you ever done that? Don't lie to me. Have you ever put some kind of agenda at the end of a dinner date so you had an out? Raise your hand if that's you. Man, okay, I see that hand up there. Man, why is that? Why, why do we do that? It's because, honestly, some social interactions are awkward. And some social interactions are weird. And some social interactions are challenging. And, and I think what's, what's crazy is that for so many of us, we kind of limit our social interaction to just one and no more. Sometimes we do this within marriage. Like, I don't need any friends. We only have this. And some people have like 850 billion friends, but they don't ever go deeper in their relationship with somebody else. The friendship kind of stays surface. So we have these multiple dynamics of awkwardness, of good things. And man, I don't know if I want to venture out and make new friends. I kind of like my crew over here. And, and yet there's something to the social interaction. In fact, it's actually hardwired into the way that you and I as humans function. Not by evolution, but by intricate and intelligent design. There's a study being done right now by UCLA that they have discovered that there's actually a neurological link that really does contribute to pain that is the same if you have a headache to that which if you have a heartache. Literally, Tylenol takes away the same pain response. And they're finding that actually social interaction and relationships supersedes what they thought was the fundamental need of clothing, food, and shelter. But they found that human and social interaction now is the most important. Because within you and me, that's where something comes alive and takes us to the next level. And today I want to take a few moments, pull some things from this scripture, and talk about how it's important for you and me to accelerate connection. Can we do that today? Somebody say amen. Somebody say that's good. Oh man, you guys are in it today. I want to unpack a few of these passages of scripture for you. And I want to start with the very first one that we just read in John 15, verses 1 through 17. Listen to what Jesus says. And this is where he starts. He says, I am the real vine and my father is the farmer. Now, I don't know, did our screens go out? Are we done or do we have some? Okay, great, because I don't have my confidence monitor here. So let me tell you what this means. He says, I am the real vine and my father is the farmer. Now that word real actually in other translations is communicated as true. And the Greek word for that is alephanos, okay? So remember, the scripture in the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And so in, when they translate it to English, sometimes the words can lose some of their fullness of their meaning. Just like if I say, I love my wife, I love pizza, and I love my dog. Those don't all mean the same thing. And you actually don't know which order they go in in my world. Just going to throw that out there at you, right? So this scripture right here, he says, I am the real vine, that Greek word, also interprets to, to the word true. Listen to what it says. They've got them on the screen so you can read this. That which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. Not just the resemblance, not just the image of God, but the real nature of God. The next uh, definition is real, true, and genuine. Genuine, authentic. The next is this, listen to this. It's the opposite of what is fictitious, counterfeit, or imaginary. And I think that's an important place to stop for a moment. Because I think for so many people, when they think about God or their idea of who God is, he's some fictitious, imaginary being that when times get tough, it makes it easier for me to believe that there might be something there. But my faith isn't really there because I don't know if he's as real as people say he is. But the scripture here, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I am not a counterfeit. 
I am not imaginary. The next one says this, opposite to what is imperfect, defective, frail, or uncertain. And I think that's so powerful for you and me because I think so many times we think that God, like so many other components in our life, is probably going to fail us too. Because often when we get into tough times, we take the focus and faith off of who God is and what God wants to do and we put it back here to what I know, my strengths, what I've accomplished. Because we think that he is defective or uncertain and frail. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm the true vine. And he's not only that, he's saying, you need to be rooted in him, in me. Right, I can see Jesus walking through the garden with his disciples saying, no, listen, your faith cannot be in your heritage. Your faith cannot be in your knowledge. Your faith cannot be in synagogue attendance or movement church attendance. Your faith has to be rooted in the fact that I am the true vine. And I will never waver, never change, and never fail. I love how the scripture continues on. He says, he cuts off every branch of me that does not bear grapes. You know, let me just take a moment and say this, that fruit should be the response of surrender always. In the first week of this series, we talked about how a relationship with Jesus begins first and foremost with surrender, saying, God, I give you my life. But for so many of us, we limit it to just a prayer and church attendance, and we don't use surrender in our life any other portion of the day or the week. So it's not really surrender, it's like flirting. And if we've really surrendered, then there should be a fruit that's a response. He's not talking about literal fruit. He's saying that there should be something reflective in your life and mine. That if I say I'm a Christ follower, then man, I'm working on getting better. If I'm struggling with my relationship with my spouse because I'm reactive or I'm angry or I'm passive, then as a Christ follower, I'm working on changing that to kindness and gentleness and self-control. That that's the fruit that begins to surface. Jesus is talking to his disciples who in just a few hours would begin a process of persecution that for all of those men would end in their life being taken. But he said, man, just be rooted in the vine. Let there be a fruit in your life. Let there be something that shows about who you are, that there's actually a belief. And listen, I think this is the question worth asking yourself. What is the fruit of your life, not the belief? I could sit down with each of you over coffee and say, what do you believe? And you could say, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe that church is good. And I believe that he's alive and cares. But is there fruit that's representative of that in you? You ever met a prepper? Anyone? You ever watched the show? TLC? Anyone alive in here today? Okay, so now you're on track with me. You ever met a prepper? I have some friends who are preppers. And I just can tell you, they're all weird, but I like having them as friends. Because if it goes down, I'm going to their house. If you don't know what a prepper is, Google it later. Okay, so they will gather food for weeks and months and have like gallons upon gallons. They look like Jeffrey Dahmer's house, 50 gallon jugs of water because they actually believe that the apocalypse is coming, whether it's a zombie or nuclear, it doesn't. Yes, zombie apocalypse is a possibility. I'm just gonna throw that out there right now. They believe, and listen, you you don't have to ask them if they believe it, you can see it. They've got like duct tape on their phone because of radiation. They're watching out for Big Brother with like lead field umbrellas. And they're like, don't talk about things. You hush up. It's coming. I'm on a list. Be quiet. Don't text me. You text me in code. Falcon over one. Why? Because 
There's a fruit in their life of the belief that they have that the world is going to end. Hey, Christian, what is the fruit of your life? Not the belief, what's the fruit of your life? What is it? What's the fruit of your life? Jesus is saying, if you're connected to the vine, then there will be much fruit. Now, he doesn't say perfect fruit. He doesn't say your fruit should look like their fruit. That's important. What is the fruit of your life? Check out the next verse. And every branch that is grape bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I've spoken. So he's saying, hey, if you do bear fruit, then he's going to prune it back. And that sounds counterproductive because it sounds painful. But what he's doing is the branches that are beginning to bear fruit, he's going to trim the leaves back so the appropriate sun can come in so that the grape will be fully developed. And so Jesus is saying, hey, as you bear fruit, get ready. I'm going to keep doing a work in you so that you can bear more fruit. And when he says pruned, it actually translates to the word cleansed. Now, not cleansed in a genocidal Hitler type of way. We're talking about a cleanse in a way that God wants to do something miraculous in your life. And what does he say here? What does he say? He says, you have already been pruned by the message. So by the word that I have spoken to you. That's why at the movement church, we spend days and hours and every conversation and in our language, we talk about read the word, read the word, read the word. Because God's word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It's a living word, sharper than any two-edged sword that can cut and divide the soul asunder, saying, hey, the word's going to show you what you need for today, for tomorrow, and beyond. Man, it is quiet in this freaking Presbyterian church. I'm all Baptocostal. I need some amens. I need to hear Nanny a little louder. Get her a mic. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Good God. I'm just trying to tell you that the word is what does the cleansing, right? Listen, that's why we spend daily, we spend daily time in the word just understanding God's nature. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to go to Vanguard. You just open it like this with your thumbprint on your iPhone 6. Done. Tap. Read. It shows you. There are no excuses. Even a verse a day will do it. Why? Because it's one sentence from the living, true God for you specifically. Man, are y'all tracking? Let me tell you, listen to what the word of God does. This is what it does all the time. It identifies sin in our life. It says, hey, it illuminates. That's the thing we, we want to change. No, 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 no. This is, you think it's okay. That's not okay. It identifies sin. You say, hey, let's adjust this. Listen, God's word never says you're a failure, ever. That's, that's a false idea. God's word just says, hey, this is in you. It doesn't have to be, and there's greater things ahead of you. It identifies sin. The next thing it does is it inspires holiness. Now, holiness, for some of you, depending on your, your upbringing, you just think of a holy roller that's got a list of do's and don'ts. And if you listen to secular music and watch R-rated movies and you go with women that smoke, you're going to the hottest place of hell. My wife stopped smoking a year ago, so we're good. We're all right. But that's not what this is talking about. When it says holiness, what it's referring to is the concept or the idea of just saying, God, man, I want my life to be something that pleases you. That's it. I just, today, and and can I just be transparent? This is my prayer every day because I'm not as strong as some of you are. I can't just go. I have to pray daily and sometimes multiple times in the day because my flesh is strong. What that means is that 
the desires that I want sometimes that I should not do are stronger than what the spirit inside of me is. And so I have to just pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, can you help me? I want to be a better husband. Better than I was yesterday because I dropped the ball. I want to be a better father and, and better than I was this morning because I got too angry and I, I'm better than that. That's, that's all that is inspiring holiness. The next thing that the word does, is it promotes growth. Right, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. None of you have arrived. None of us have. None of us have. If you sit down with Nanny to have coffee, she'll tell you, man, I just want to be closer to God. You should, that's why, because, why? man, I love having her here. Let's have her move. We're starting a petition. Listen, it promotes, the, Holy, the, the scripture just promotes growth. I've got to get better. I can do, I, this isn't enough for me. And this is the last thing that the scripture does. One of these points that I want to make to you is it reveals power for victory. It says that you have the victory. The greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. That no weapon, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Look at me in the eyes. What does that mean? That there's somebody outside this with a suit of armor and a sword? No, no, no. Just that no matter what you're facing, it's not stronger than the God you serve. And man, that's a reminder we need sometimes. Right? Because sometimes the things that we're facing feel bigger than a God that we serve. Right? And so we got to know, hey, there is nothing bigger than my God. Let's move on. We've got to hurry. We've got nine minutes. Verse four. Listen to this. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch cannot bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. That, that, that phrase, live in me, translates to the word abide. And the definition, listen to the definition of abide. To sojourn. To sojourn. That means walking hand in hand in this journey called life with Jesus. It's just saying, okay, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my world. And guys, that's the key. Because Jesus will never force himself into your world. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you let me come in, man, I'll dine with you and you with me. And so no matter what you face, no matter what you're walking through, you've got to say, Jesus, you come apart. You be a part of this journey with me. You invade my life. I give you permission. Every time we start a service off in our huddle, the prayer we pray is, God, we've got a song list. We've got sermons prepped. We've got coffee brewed. But you take control. Because it's your church service. It's not ours. And if we'll do the same thing with our lives, then he'll sojourn with us. And let me just tell you, a life walking hand in hand with Jesus is exponentially better than a life walking hand in hand with yourself. Y'all tracking with me? Another definition for the word abide is to not depart. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things that so, so it grieves my spirit as I see Christians today, especially those of us in the younger generation, that man, when t- things get tough, we kind of leave God's plan for us. And I don't think very many of us just to, choose to literally turn our back and say, you know, forget you, I don't need you. But we just lean into our own understanding. And he's saying to abide in me, to say, don't, don't depart. Hang with me. To remain as one is another definition or to wait for. And sometimes when you're in between point A and point B in this journey called life, it's easy to get impatient, tuck tail and run. But Jesus is saying, just wait. Hey, God's will for you is so much better than you could possibly imagine. You have no concept. In fact, the scripture alludes to this in Ephesians 2, 20, I believe, or 3:20, For he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than all you could ask or imagine. So your greatest dreams, your greatest plans, your greatest ambitions pale in comparison to God's ambition and dream for you. So wait for it. 
abide in me. The scripture goes on in verses five through eight. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the revelation intimate and organic, the harvest assured to be abundant, separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood gathered and thrown up in a bonfire. But if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. What he's doing here is just repeating, rephrasing, restructuring the same thing again to say, guys, listen. I think Jesus just knew, thank God, he knew that we would forget what he said. He knew that we would focus our attention on so many other things that the other thing would become doctrine or word to us. And he'd say, wait, 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 just remain in me and you'll bear fruit. And then listen to this last passage of scripture. He says, but if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. Isn't that liberating? Listened to and acted upon. He doesn't say he'll give you what you want. He's not a genie in a bottle. He doesn't say, hey, not his will, but your will be done. He says, when you remain in me, When you pray, I'm going to lean in. And I'm going to act. Remember, my will's better than your will. And I'm going to give you the right thing at the right time. Lean in. Listen, can I just tell you, I don't care. Every single individual on this earth would love to know that God is listening to them. Agnostic, atheist, it doesn't matter. If they knew that the true and living God was listening to their prayers. And that's his promise for you today. He goes on and he says this, this is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grape, grapes, and when you mature as my disciples. Listen, uh, uh, people don't cultivate a vineyard so that people can come and look at the leaves. No, they cultivate a vineyard because of the grapes. Because the grapes produce an amazing thing. Jelly, right? That's what you're thinking, right? Jelly, man, love me some jelly. Grapes produce so many great things. So the vineyard caretakers producing and working and slaving and tilling the ground and sweating and pruning. Why? To produce a great fruit. So that whoever partakes, like, man, that's some good jelly. <laughs> Fermented and every, no, wait, wrong jelly. That's some good stuff. But here's the other thing about Grapes is every single one of them has a seed in it to reproduce. And that's what God wants for us, that we have godly character. That our fruit, the fruit of our life is reflective of Jesus at the center. And that we reproduce. That we bring people along and say, oh man, life is so much better when you're connected to the vine. Oh man, you want to see light at the end of the tunnel, get connected to the vine. You want to find hope in a hopeless world? Get connected to the vine. You want to see light in the middle of darkness? Get connected to the vine. I mean, you don't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. But life gets good when we're connected to the vine. So it's not just about great fruit that's godly character. It's about reproducing and saying, hey, come with me. Let me show you what God's done in my life. He goes on and he says this. I loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. 
That's what I've done. I've kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. And I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is important. See, what it sounds like, if you're not paying attention, it sounds like if you keep my commands, I'll love you. And I think so many people look at God and church as that. That if I am obedient, I keep God's commands, then he'll love me. But I've not kept his commands, so he can't love me. So I don't want to go to church. I don't want to experience who God is. Many of you have thought the same thing in your own ideology. That I've got too much staining the, the, the resonance of my life. Too much staining my character to step through the doors of a church or to pray again or to read the word again. And so there's no way God can love me. But that's not what he says. He just simply says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. The scripture says no height, nor depth, nor length, nor breadth can keep you from the love of God. My daughter, Brooklyn and Avery, and I love them with all I have. Everything that I do in this life is about leading my family and helping people find Jesus. I didn't realize I could love a, a kid like I did. I was in love with my wife, still am, I'm in love with my wife, and I'm in love with the Lord. My God, how she's pregnant. How can I love this kid? What's going to happen? And Brooklyn was born, and my heart grew like the Grinch, but I wasn't the Grinch. And then she got pregnant with Avery. I was like, God, I can't handle this. And my heart grew again. It doesn't matter what they do in this life. If they make the most foolish decisions and do the most vile, detestable thing and end up in prison, I'll still drive, sit on the other side of the glass, and tell them I love them. For the rest of their life, no matter what they do. If Brooklyn walked around slapping Avery in the face, stealing from me and my wife, I'd spank her butt. Congratulations. I'm from the South. It's for you. I'd hug her. I'd love her. My love would never change. But the blessings that I give would. Because if she walked around slapping Avery and stealing from me and my wife, she's not going to get dessert after dinner to play on her iPad that she shouldn't even have because she's only stinking 11 years old. It's my fault. She's not going to go hang out with friends after school on Friday. No, she's going to sit in her room because she's not being obedient. I still love her. And the scripture here is saying, if if you're in me and I'm in you, and if you love me, then keep my commands. This thing about obedience is a big deal. Listen, this is a great quote. I just want to read it quickly. It's going to be on the screen. It's kind of deep, so read along with me. It says this. No one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures and does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous, but obedience seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but his memory of his past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most to be pitied. He cannot forever remain ambivalent. And I think so many uh, people in our world today, and maybe some of us in this room, have felt this tug of war between what I want to do in my, my flesh and what God has for me in the spirit. And I just, I don't love this enough and I don't love this enough and I just kind of land in this abyss. And it's all because of a lack of obedience. And I wonder if, if that starting point would just be to say today, God, what do you want to do with my life? I surrender it to you. Remaining in the vine and, 
and, and in the love of what God is doing, man, obedience should definitely be a response. Check this out. He moves on. This, is, this, is, this whole passage, this whole portion of Scripture is just Jesus teeing up the fairway shot. For those of you who don't like golf, it's the, the big green, the, the, you know, the par five, you know, 540 yards, and the tee is set, the ball is there. You've tested the wind, and you've kind of done this whole thing. doesn't even matter because you're not that good. And you get that club ready, and you want a happy Gilmore, that sucker, and that's fine too. And you shake a little bit, and you do the whole things, and he's just teed up this shot. He's just unpacked this whole thing for the disciples, which, hey, psst, you're a disciple. If you're a Christ follower... This isn't just the 12. And so he tees up this shot and he says, hey, listen, I've said all of this. Be connected to the vine. Be obedient to what I'm saying. I'm going to prune the hedges sometimes, but it'll be worth it because you're going to bear more fruit. And when you pray, man, I'm going to be leaning in and I'm going to act accordingly. And and I'm going to do what's in my will for you because it's better than your will. And this whole thing is going to be great. He tees up this shot all to set it up for this statement that he says next. This is my command. Love one another the way that I've loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. He tees up this shot and he says, hey, love others the way that I've loved you. Remember, he is the true vine. So be genuine. Be true. Don't be counterfeit. Don't be fake. He's saying, man, everything in this life is building to this point that the greatest fruit of your life as a Christ follower, is to love one another. I believe what he's saying, paraphrased, is build authentic, accelerated connection. He's saying, man, don't just say it a state of surface issue, but let that relationship become real. Don't be some fake facade of an individual, but be willing and open to dive deep in a real relationship with other people. Outside of the four you already connect with, He's just repeating this commandment from John 13. But you ever thought about it? Why don't we make authentic connection? Why don't we accelerate that? I think it's because we're afraid to let people get so close that they can see the dirt. What if they get close enough to realize that I have some flaws and weaknesses and so we throw up a guard and we'll keep it surfacing. You can have a surface relationship for decades. Yeah, you can Always talking about, you know, sports and the weather and your kids. That's great. But never diving deep into what God's doing in your life or not. It's kind of like, do y'all remember some of you that are old enough when we switched from analog to HD television? Some of you are like, what is that? Analog? I don't even know. TVs used to be the size of the stage. And you would help your friend like, hey, can you come help me move? And like after you move your television because the refrigerator is better. Because you're like... Had a projector in the back, right? And it was flat screen. You couldn't see it real well. It was horrible. Had a big wooden console. How many of you remember that? Can anybody raise your hand? Okay. The rest of you have no clue what I'm talking about. They weren't always flat, weighing 20 pounds. And then we went to HD. And then the camera was so clear. You could see zits and pimples and pores on people's skin and these red veins. Like, ew, put some makeup on that dude. None of y'all ever said that, apparently. Okay, great. And that's what authentic connection is. It's a relationship in HD. Because you can't have an authentic relationship and connection if you don't spend time. And if you hang out with someone long enough, they're going to see you get in a fight with your wife. And don't act like you are perfect in your arguments. 
I mean, I am. I just pray the whole time, like, Jesus. Megan's like, ah, throwing things and pulling out a bat. I'm like, Jesus. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we close the doors and windows and start yelling. It's good. You hang out long enough, people are going to see the mistakes. Let me tell you what an authentic connection is. It's someone that inspires you and, and you inspire me. Some of us, even as adults, have friends that our parents would be like, shouldn't hang out with that kid. You know what I'm talking about. You don't tell your wife that you get a happy hour with that guy, just had to stay at work a little later. Yeah. You inspire me and I inspire you, and, and you challenge me and I challenge you. Not like to a duel, but to say, hey, wait, you're better than that. You're, you're, I, I know God's hand on your life. I know the purpose because you shared the dream with me. Stop acting like a knucklehead. Treat your wife better. Hey, hey, don't date that dude. He's a knucklehead. Man, don't be a punk. Get to class on time. Hey, show up to work on time. You're better than that. Let your fruit be a representation of a Christ follower. And then you challenge me. That's an authentic connection. Hey, an authentic connection is you know my kryptonite and I know yours. All of us have kryptonite. I was gonna use silver bullet, but our demographic's not old enough. Silver bullet's also good. Nope, not still. Kryptonite. Everybody in here, look at me. Everybody, if you're looking at me and you're breathing, you have kryptonite. The one thing that can take you out, take you down. The one thing that's your pitfall. For some of you, it might be a line of cocaine. For others of you, it could be a drink. For others of you, it could be gossip. Oh, yeah. For others of you, it could be judgmental attitude. For others of you, it could be pornography. It could be the girl that you work next to. And if, if you and I know our kryptonites, then I can pull you up out of the ditch and vice versa and slap you around when you start looking a little too long, when you get back around those friends who are doing stupid stuff. Look at me in the eyes. Authentic connection, we know each other's kryptonite. Hey, this is the foundation, though. Authentic connection is centered on the centrality of Jesus Christ. That's the precipice. That is fundamental. Why? Because he's who says we're heading in the same trajectory. It doesn't mean you cannot have friends who aren't centered around Christ, but you better limit their access to your life. Some of you got really uncomfortable when I said that. Some of my great friends don't know Jesus. Two of them, not great, but good friends, were here today in the first service. And they gave their life to Jesus today. That's pretty awesome. So there's a difference between hanging out with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and I'm pulling them towards the light as opposed to them pulling me towards the darkness. Are y'all tracking? Jesus is setting this whole thing up. Listen to what he said. You are my friends. When you do the things that I command you, I am no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends. Because I've taught you and let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. He says, man, you're my friend. Let's build this relationship together. Inspiring you and inspiring me. Challenging you, challenging me. Knowing each other's kryptonite. Being available, yet not setting unrealistic expectations. Hey, look at me in the eyes for one moment. Life change always happens within the context of relationships doesn't matter how good I preach and how sexy I look. 
the greatest season of your life is attached to the people you do life with. And can I tee up this whole shot for you right now? Can I set up this whole sermon? There's no hidden agenda because this is what we literally believe. I believe the greatest season ahead of you is tied to what connect group you jump into this semester. Jesus said, if you love me, abide in me and love one another. When you walk out the doors today, the connect group leaders will be out here showcasing what they're doing and where they're going and what their connect group is all about. And look at me in the eyes, I wanna challenge you. The greatest season of your life is ahead of you, directly connected to the connect group you join. And there might be some that are weird. Don't go back, find another one. We can't help it. We just, sometimes we have weird people. They're all in the first service, so you're all good. You're good. Find a connect group. Build authentic relationships. If you're the kind that says, I don't need any more friends, maybe just broaden that a little bit to one or two. If you're the kind that has 87,000 friends, but no with real deep relationships, maybe narrow that down a little bit. But I believe Jesus is saying, if you love me, love one another at the Movement Church in our connect groups. Minor paraphrase, I'm still checking out the Greek. But don't leave today without checking it out. Because I believe God's gonna do something amazing in your life. And it's always tied to who you do life with. Jesus at the center, inspiring you, inspiring me, challenging you and challenging me, and knowing each other's kryptonite. Man, that's a pretty good friendship. That's the key to an amazing life. Let's just see what God can do. Amen? Hey, let me take a minute to talk to those of you who are here for the very first time or, or maybe you've been with us a few times and you're wavering on your faith. You're not sure where you stand or what you believe, but at the same time on the inside, you're thinking, man, I like the sound of this. I want that connection because I've tried to make it or even in, in times past, I've said prayers or I've gone to church, but I feel like there's a gap, a space or a cap to my prayers and I just can't get past it. And I want to change the trajectory of my relationship and I don't know what to do. And can I just suggest that the answer is simple? It's just saying yes to Jesus. The Bible's clear that there is a gap called a sin gap and that all of us have sin. But the important thing is that there's a radical solution. It's a free gift. God sent his son Jesus to live on this earth, a sinless life, die on the cross and pay the ransom for your sins. And all we have to do is say yes to Jesus. We don't have to get perfect. We don't have to change our past. We don't have to change our heritage. We just have to say yes to him. And that's when life gets good. Not perfect, but good. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I don't want to embarrass you. But in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I just want to invite you to repeat it after me in your own heart. And some of you are here and you've been running from God, running from your purpose. And it's time to come running back. And as I pray that prayer, right where you're seated, would you just repeat it after me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. If that's you, maybe it's time to pray this for the first time or the first time in a long time. Just right where you're seated, repeat this prayer after me. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. You've given me purpose. God, I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the ransom for my sin. 
all across this room, heads bowed, eyes closed, just repeat this phrase after me. Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.